0: begin our another Sunday school series here. We're actually just FYI, if you haven't already got one, we have the handouts for today's message uh, in the back. There's a folder back there and uh, direct people. If you see people coming in late, you can direct them back there and uh, get an idea of where we're going with the outline today. One of the, this is just gonna be a one-week series. Next, for the next two weeks, we're gonna be having a series, for, basically for the rest of the year, we're, we're just gonna be finishing off on some short topics before we get into some other longer studies uh, in uh, 2023. Next week, quick plug, uh, starting next week, Jared will be doing a two-week series. Since it is uh, the month of Thanksgiving, uh, he'll be, one of his subjects will be on Thanksgiving and gratitude, and the other in that series are, is going to be about the opposite of being thankful. So be there for both of them. It's really important. So I just uh, encourage you to, to be around for the next couple of weeks. Jared will be uh, leading that study. And then there going to be some other topical ones. One, one of the things, by the way, in, in Sunday school, obviously we want to make sure we're teaching. One of the things that we need to be able to do as a church, too, is, is to be able to teach on topics that touch everybody's lives. And we want to be able to Make sure, because where else, I mean, as a church, obviously we, we, we preach right from the Bible, we exposit the Bible, and it's just right out of the text, and we go through wherever God's leading us there. And there are other issues that come up, especially hot button social issues and things like that, that come up, that as Christians, we all need to make sure that we're going to the same well and finding information about how do we respond to those issues. And that's why we sometimes we use some of these topical things in our Sunday schools to be able to address some of these, these issues that we all face. So this, this week is certainly one of those. Uh, our topic this week is the problem of pain, suffering, and evil. Now, that's not necessarily something that's going to you know, draw everybody, oh, we really want to hear about pain, suffering, and evil, right, as a topic. But we have to remember that we believe in an all-powerful, and loving God. So, if we believe in this all powerful and loving God, it's reasonable for, to question, even for Christians, to ask if God's really loving and rules over everything, how could He allow pain and suffering and, and death to be in His creation? That's a legitimate question to ask. And that question not only gets asked by Christians, but obviously, unbelievers uh, usually turn it more, in, instead of just a inqu- question, it usually tends to be more of an accusation. And the accusation tends to go along the lines, something like, well, God couldn't be good and loving if he allows tragedies and suffering of innocent people in the world. Kind of probably heard that or seen that in headlines before. If God was really that, or and or it might even include, and if God really was all powerful, he'd put an end to evil and suffering. Ever heard that before? We see it all the time. And, And the reason this subject is so important is because everyone on this planet experiences some of the effects of evil in their lives. Every person, every person on this planet has, a, has experienced some of these effects. And we can't just pretend it doesn't exist or say, well, we don't really talk about that because we're all believers and we're all happy. It's, these things impact people in a real way. One of the first things, uh, one of the first concepts when we were studying the, the Heidelberg Catechism last month, one of the first things that the Heidelberg Catechism teaches is about sin and misery and their origin, right? We, we talked about that, where the origin of, of the sin and misery from. And it comes with man's disobedience, and because man's disobedience, it ushered in the curse of sin and death. And for Christians, this is foundational uh, to give us a right understanding of how, how we see everything around us. Having that foundation gives us the right framework to look at everything else. And I've read lots of books and and articles over the years about this subject, and I've even had to write papers for college stuff about this topic. And what makes it more real is the fact that we've we've lost friends and loved ones and family members. Uh, We've had (laughs) several services here just in the last year. because we've lost loved ones that's the real part of this it touches and affects people's lives and we have to look at what is going to be our response to this and it's obviously it's inevitable as, as we get older um, <laughs> when you've been around for a few decades you start experiencing even more of this you see more of the effects and ravages of 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 sin and evil and death occurring it's just the numbers game. The older you get, the more people around us um, pass away, for instance. But we need to discuss not only the, the topic of how we're to address when people ask questions about this, but I want us to make sure that this is kind of twofold, that we're also going to be talking about how do we personally respond when these experiences happen to us, okay? So if you keep in mind both things. We're looking at this this topic from the standpoint of how do we respond to others? but more importantly, how do we respond when we experience these things? Because both need to be done, because um, we, we need to know how we're gonna respond to the tragic events and bad things happening in the world and, and to the unbelievers that point to these bad things that happen as evidence that there's not really a, an all-powerful, loving God. So how do we address those? We're gonna start with a quick recap of God's word and God's character. Uh, because then we can open it up into some more of the discussion. But just again, just quick to set the stage and put the foundation there. We see at the beginning of Genesis 1 that God is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. That's the very beginning, the very beginning of the Bible, foundation, rock solid. He created everything <laughs> heavens and earth. And he made his creation very good. And that's important that we understand that distinction. At the beginning, he made everything very good. And then we see in Genesis 3, man rebels, and sin and death enter the world. So he's made his creation very good, sin and death enter the world when man rebels, and then even the ground is cursed, and labor becomes difficult, and death reigns. That's the rest of the story throughout the Bible and throughout what we see in human history. Murder even happens in the very first family. We see these things happen just after the sin comes in, the very first family. Murder, not just death, but murder. And everyone outside of Enoch, who was the one in the Bible who was taken up by God, everyone else suffers death. As a matter of fact, when you get to Genesis 5, If you ever, you know, that's usually the the part that people glaze over where Genesis 5 starts talking about, and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and he lived 700 years, and then he died. And -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and they lived X hundred years, and he died. And -and so-and-so begot, and he died. See the theme there? They all died. (laughs) That is the clear theme, and that's what reigns throughout the rest of history. We see that there. That's that's the big, at this point, since we now know good and evil, we're going to see this, and we're going to see, and now we've, we, man has tasted death, and that's, that's the reality of it. That's the historical uh, condition of man. You know, I, there are some different responses out there, and I've, I've recently heard some very different responses from both professing Christians and others as well about the topic of evil and suffering some are good, some are partly good, and some are just really not good at all. And I wanna take a look at some of those. And the responses, as I mentioned earlier, the responses to these questions, especially that unbelievers raise is important, but how we act in response to bad or evil circumstances is another important kind of response we're gonna, we're gonna address. All of these responses, usually the, the, the bad ones, in some ways, the ones that are not good responses to this problem of of evil and and suffering, in some way diminish, distort, or ignore God's attributes. Think about that for a second. Any of these responses that are off, somehow diminish, distort, or ignore some of God's attributes. Earlier this year, we spent a number of weeks uh, exploring the attributes or perfections of, of God. And it's really important to remember these attributes of God as we're dealing with this topic. One of the really bad uh, responses to suffering and evil was made popular a few decades ago. Many of you may have seen it as a New York Times bestseller and all that. Uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book entitled When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Very popular book. His explanation this is a Jewish rabbi. His explanation was that, that God, get this, God does the best he can. He's not able to prevent evil, evil sometimes, it, it, especially even though, so God is good and he's doing all he can, but in certain, in certain circumstances, God's hands are tied, especially when it comes to people suffering uh, the consequences of their own church choices, but that's the premise of his whole book. Think about that for a moment. That God is unable to do that? The second question in your notes actually addresses this a little bit. Uh, It says, is God capable of overcoming evil? Well, according to Rabbi Kushner, well, sometimes, but not always. He does the best he can. Wow. Think about that for a worldview. how that distorts things. And if that's really true in your notes there, if that really is true and he can't control any of it, is he really omnipotent? Okay? So it's denying one of the attributes of God and his, his omnipotence. And, and even the, the title for a moment is, is kind of problematic. When bad things happen to good people, where's the definition of good? Where do you Okay, where do you get that from? So that's a really bad response to try and make up, a, a, a reason for why God allows evil and suffering, okay? And I, and I just want everyone to know that as believers, don't try to use this, when you're trying to comfort somebody who's grieving or lost something, that is not a really good place to go, to diminish God and say, well, he's trying the best he can. God is not some weak, wimpy deity that can't, <laughs> that can't deal with his own creation, That's denying one of his attributes. So we see the reasons why this is not a good way to answer people about why God allows evil and suffering. The other part of this is, how do we respond to the tragedy and loss? So have you ever heard, or maybe even thought to yourself, God, why did you allow this to happen? Okay, look in the mirror. Have, Have you ever said that to yourself, or know people that have? Or, or God, why did you allow this godly person to suffer and die? Wow, that's tough. One of the books, and I, I've, I've got a reading list at the end of your notes here, but one of the books I was reading by Ken Ham, um, how, how Could a Loving God, one of the things he wrestles with in this book is his brother, who was a preacher, I, I mean, just an absolutely sold-out preacher for God's word, and then contracted a, a very bad brain disease. That not only changed his personality, but got him to the point where he couldn't even speak. So here's here's somebody who was outwardly proclaiming God's word and then is unable to do that for the last time of his life and couldn't even speak. It's really easy to ask yourself those questions when you're going through it. Well, why would you allow this, God? So we have to be honest that sometimes we wrestle with these. So we need to now wrestle with them and then bring them back to scripture. So what, what, is, what does the word say and, and how would God have us answer this? So it's understandable when we're grieving a loss that our pain can distort our thinking a little bit. I mean, would you agree that sometimes our, when we're, we're, we've suffered a loss, it can sometimes really distort our, our thinking? And we as believers know that God is there and has given us his spirit to walk us through this. That's the blessing that we have as believers, that God has given us the comforter to walk us through this, through these times that are difficult to understand, through these times that we we just don't, we can't get why why this would be allowed by a loving God. So we lean on him and we trust in his promises and character. So when I say it's foundational, we need to understand that his character and his promises are what we rely on. And as believers, that's what we cling to in these difficult times. And we need to have a true, biblical, big-picture view of the world. A biblical, big-picture view of the world. In your outline, and again, if you haven't gotten an outline, there are copies back in the back. Um, uh, Open up in the, the file back there. I wrote down six in your in your notes there. One of the first, we kind of already touched on this a little bit, is God is in control. God is omnipotent. That's part of the character of God. He's in control of everything. And just in recent weeks, I think we've had some great <laughs> some great examples of, of believers in our body sharing about an understanding of this. I know uh, the, when we had our, our prayer time, uh, young Jacob shared about understanding that God is in control. During her loss here, our sister Espy shared that just what a, what a blessing she has been to others, even while she's grieving, sharing that she knows that God's in control of this. And she knows that, that her husband is in God's hands. We've got two people separated by, I don't know, five or six decades that understand a really key concept that God is omnipotent. When we get that, grief and, and suffering are, are real. There's this, this is not discounting that. But how are you gonna get past that and how are you gonna walk through that if you don't understand that God's in control of it all? We need to grasp that first that God's in control. He's omnipotent, and that's what makes all the difference in the world. Grief and loss are real, but we cling to the truth of who God is, what His character, what He's told us about His character and His Word. And number two, that God doesn't make mistakes. There are no accidents, nothing catches God by surprise. He's omniscient, He knows all. <laughs> You could put all of the collective intelligence of the entire world together, we do not have the omniscience of God. He knows everything. He sees the, be- the end from the beginning. He has that perspective, and that's why we need to adopt as much as we can that, that big picture perspective that God has r- revealed to us. We know, as the third point points out there, that death and suffering are part of this present world ever since the fall, since Genesis 3, this is history. It is ongoing. This is how it is right now. And number four, that God doesn't have to explain his reasons to us. The book of Job, if you've ever read the book of Job, Job even brings these things. Why would you allow this? And you want to talk about calamity, folks, we've all been through some bad things. But Job lost everything. His family, his wealth, his health. Everything was cut off from him. And even his friends stopped being of a whole lot of help to him once they started opening their mouths, right? He's lost all of these things. And when he gets the chance to, and he was even saying, well, if I could just you know, get in front of God, then I'd be able to have my peace and, say, and, and get an answer. He gets in front of God, and what happens? God never answers the question as to why. We know because we read the book after the fact why God allowed this and how this all happened. Job was not, God said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he went on from there to explain who he was and what was Job's response? So just head to the ground, I cover my mouth. I did not know what I was talking about. How, who am I to question God? That is his response. God does not owe us answers for all these, all of life's problems. He's told us we're gonna have these tribulations and that this is the rule of, the, of this fallen world. But it doesn't mean he owes us all a specific answer as to why he let this one thing happen in our lives right now. But do we trust and go back to those first foundational points that we understand he's omnipotent and he's omniscient and that this is just our current world. We also understand Point five there, which is God will make everything right and very good once again when He in the new heavens and the earth. Okay? That's the promise. We look forward to that. We look we we know that's our great hope, and we'll obviously talk about that a little bit more, but things will be restored. We've been promised this, all of his other promises have come true. This one will as well. And number six, of course, that God is loving. We learned about that, about his character, but God is loving. Even if we don't understand some of the discipline or some of the reasons behind what happens, we do understand that God is loving. I, I hope these, at least, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way. I mean, I, this is just I, hopefully a couple of things that I, I hope you find practical and helpful when you're considering uh, this subject. It's not just about, and it's not just about having intellectual knowledge of who God is uh, and why there's pain and evil in this world. We're actually given, please remember, brothers and sisters, we're given the power to overcome these circumstances through Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. We have Christ. We, we can now overcome, uh, as Jesus has told us, <laughs> for I have overcome the world. Another response uh, that we hear sometimes to the problem of of, of evil that people use is that if you have a certain, if if you have certain evils, then it can help you achieve certain good ends. An example might be, uh, it's good to show compassion for those who suffer, right? It's good to, to show compassion for those who suffer. So allowing evil is necessary to show compassion, right? If you didn't have suffering, then there wouldn't be anything to be compassionate about. That's kind of the argument, right? I mean, when you see that there's bad, when bad things occur, then there's the opportunity for compassion and coming alongside of. And that's actually a a decent, uh, you know, that's an okay answer. um, You know, because we understand that it's logically necessary for some evil to exist in the world. I've heard the analogy, and maybe you have too, that, that a diamond shines shines best on a on a on a black background. So if you've got black felt or something and you put a diamond on, there you can really see the diamond. The contrast there really shows it off. So the opposite of good, you know, evil shows off the good of good. Right? So that's that's the argument. And that's not a bad argument as I mentioned. Most people would would agree that contrasting difficulties with the easy and good times usually makes us appreciate things a little bit more. Would you say would you agree that Sometimes you go through a bad week, when you think settle down, and you have a good week, you appreciate it a little bit more, that's pretty normal, right? Um, usually makes us appreciate these things, and that these answers, as I say, are not bad or wrong, but they don't completely answer the question, and at least they don't necessarily start from the, the, the most important point at the beginning. So that the, ap- the answers are good, and you can use these things, and we can share this with, with people, but it doesn't necessarily satisfy all the questions that people answer. So a question to you is, is it possible that God can use even catastrophic events to draw people to himself? C- can God use bad events? See lots of heads nodding? Okay. Can it, can it help build or strengthen our character? So when you've gone through those, and if you'd like to share something, an example of this, go, go right ahead, we do have microphones around. But have you ever experienced this, where going through one of these bad times actually builds and strengthens your character? I, I know some of the, the times when I have gone deepest with God have been the, the worst valleys that I've gone through. That's what, That was the closest fellowship I have had with God was during those times. I think we we've we've experienced that. So yes to both of those, but but evil and suffering don't always produce that result in all people. Now here's where I, I want you to chime in here. So those things for, for most for most of us believers, those times can help us to be strengthened in our in our walk, but those catastrophes and difficult times don't always produce the same result for all people. Why is that? Share with the group here, why why is it that suffering doesn't always produce that same result in all people? Got a microphone over here.
1: Oh. Oh. I because, like, uh, only the believer can really have a, a truly God-centered perspective in life. So if you're a centered perspective, you're it's probably you know.
0: Yeah. without that God centered perspective <laughs> h- how else are you going to let it how, how, how can you turn it into something positive
1: yeah I think um, obviously those that don't have Christ will deal with pain and suffering probably in a more negative way and there maybe bitterness begins to well up and they don't see the purpose in the suffering, of course. Um, but even Christians, I think, struggle on different levels with suffering and trial. And I think it has to do with our understanding of what you've been talking about, which is the attributes of God and his wisdom and his infinite knowledge of what's best for us we minimize and don't embrace during the times that are very difficult for us. So the more we get to know him and the more trustworthy we see him, the more we embrace and accept that he knows what's best for us in everything. And your example of going through the valleys and having the most profound interactions with God are usually true and so, we look to those kind of interactions, those, those difficulties to produce those kind of interactions, which brings us back to being attached, as we talk about, to the vine. And that's where we come out of those difficulties with our faith, not only there, but strengthened to the point that we trust him for the next one as well. So.
0: Important tie-in too, that, that because of that, then we're, we're, we're more strengthened for the next one. And that kind of leads to another, somebody else has a, a comment about why we don't always, or, or how we can maybe use those, these opportunities.
2: Uh, yeah, I think I agree with both Julius and, and Dan. The, the perspective of God is what differentiates us from, from non-believers. Uh, if I think about non-believers, and if we have heavy rain, one person would think that this is a blessing, another person would think that I don't want heavy rain and so it's a matter of their own personal um, preference if you will mm-hmm. uh, i think the bible is very clear about uh, for, for real christians true christians there's no such thing as tri- uh, evil they're all trials with the lord and the purpose of that is to um, really bring the hearts of men to himself and i think uh, it's good that the bible has clarity that yes in the end god will overcome evil that's, that's a, a, a very um, assuring promise that we can hold on to. But in the meantime, here on earth, he focuses more not on eliminating evil just yet because he's patient. He wants to draw people's heart to himself. And it's very clear that that's the intention of the Lord right from the beginning. Even Genesis 4, in the, in, in the, in the story of Cain and Abel, before Cain even did any evil, he addressed Cain's heart, because that's, the, that's what God cares the most, is people's heart. And so I think um, one of the purpose of the evil is to, you know, um, to, to care for, for, for people's heart, to humble them, and as you said, you know, to, to mold the, those characters um, to, um, to, to his likeness.
0: Well put. What else? Any other thoughts on why sometimes that does or doesn't um, turn us to God?
3: And just to piggyback on what's been said, just it's, it starts, you know, with your view of God. You know, if, I think in our culture, you know, it's like he's a genie in a bottle that does good things. You know, we pray for pray for the things that we want, and if he doesn't give them, then he's not very nice. Or if he causes things to go wrong, then he hates us. And you know, just the mindset that. Even Christians have because if you don't know the word, you don't know about sovereignty. That's the conclusion you would naturally draw because we live in a cause and effect kind of world, you know, or you know that distorts our thinking. So we really have to go back to the word to get your view of God and not just culture's view and what
0: maybe you've heard your whole life. Or yeah, again, back to that whole thing of sovereignty, right? Uh, New York. Do you want to share? Oh, okay. One of the things, because we have to remember, and again, you guys are hitting on it really, really well, because we have to remember that sometimes those things do not drive people. Even Christians sometimes take a long way around before they finally come to understanding and remembering the attributes of God. But for unbelievers, they can go off, that can just, that's their excuse Right? I mean you think of people like Ted Turner or Charles Darwin, who after a you know, a loss in their life, they just become bitter and angry and do all they can to try and rage against God. You know, that, that happens. We we see that because without a regenerator heart, you've got nothing, you've got nothing drawing you. You're you're just this is the reason why I don't want to believe in God. He's evil and 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 I don't wanna I don't wanna worship him. But you guys br- brought some great things to why that's important. Our, our focus, our beliefs, and I, I, if I could summarize it, it's like our focus and our beliefs and our worldview are what allow us to make use of, of, as hard as it is to say, of the joy of suffering. You know, James, as James tells us, count it all joy when you... I mean, all these things that we're, we're supposed to get, get that God is using these for a greater good than, than we can see at this particular time. So there's obviously some better answers, and you guys are just sharing there's some better answers and behaviors that we can have. I, I think the key there, too, is just theology matters. So what you think and believe about God, that matters. And here's, I think, a really good starting point. God has the bigger picture. If we can remember that. God has the bigger pictures. There's, you know, like there's no single uh, telescope or even a, a ray of man's telescopes that can view the whole universe. But God God not only sees everything, he created everything. And he sees everything all at once. We, we don't have that ability to do. Uh, in the, this book by Ken Hammond, it talked about some of the mosaics in, in, in Europe that are beautiful from far away, these beautiful mosaics that are made. But when you stand close to these same mosaics, you see that there are actually millions and millions of individual tiles, these tiny little tiles that make up this big mosaic. And when you're standing really close to them, I'll quote the, quote the book here. It says, the closer you are, the more the tiles dominate your vision, and it's harder to see how the pieces fit together in the larger work. You get the analogy? I mean, basically, when you're up close, you can't tell when you're looking at something that's bigger and more ma- magnificent than just the components, because you're too close. You don't have the broad view that God does. And, and that's that's part of our problem, right? Because we have finite, as has been shared here this morning already, we have a finite and limited view uh, and vision, as well as understanding, because ever since the fall, even our understanding is limited, right? It's all part of the fall, it affects everything. So we've got this limited view, and as we also have fallen natures, so we can't even reason per- perfectly all the time. So per- perspective is the key with all of this. Um, and only God is omniscient and has the correct perspective so we get to see some of that perspective fortunately that's revealed to us in his word and that's why we go there Romans 8:28 reminds us and we know for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose we've heard that a lot right and it's two things I think we need to understand from that passage I mean it's and, and so we keep a good balance here First of all, I mean, this, this passage is acknowledging that not all things are good, right? <laughs> but it is saying that God can use all things together for good, and that includes suffering and tragedy and all these different things, to ultimately work for the good of his people. So that's a truth that we all need to remember and apply to ourselves as well as when we're sharing with others, that, wait, God, God can use even these things together, now we have to be careful that, and give careful thought to, to before sharing this verse with someone who's who's grieving or suffering. All right, because it's it, it could be really. It, I just encourage everyone to be cautious of of this. It's a powerful and true passage that needs to be shared sensitively. It's not a quick it's not a quick fix verse for everyone's pain. All right, I mean, oh, I know you're suffering. You've lost or this or that, and. Oh, but you know, God's working it all to good. When someone's grieving, they're grieving. It's real. We need to address that and be part and be there with them. It can be very comforting to be reminded of this, but we just don't want to respond like Job's friends and start spouting off what we think is, oh yeah, this, this is what your problem is, or this is what you need. You need to read this verse and then you'll be all be all fixed. Okay? Share the truth in love with compassion. Um And sometimes we just need to sit right alongside our friends and mourn and grieve with them. That's part of our response, right? Especially to believers. We're going to sit and mourn with those who are mourning. And we do mourn. The the difference here is that we mourn differently than those that aren't believers. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I think, captures this. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So our mourning is different than unbelievers because, of we, because we have this future hope. Our mourning is not, the same. It's not saying that we don't have mourning. It's saying that our mourning is different. We know that there's something beyond this, and we need to remind each other of that because we have a different hope. Unbelievers, and we have to have compassion for unbelievers because unbelievers have a lot of problems with evil and suffering, and we see it all the time, especially on the news. It's like, oh, wow, this tragedy happened, and you've got people that are just pulling stuff out of thin air trying to explain why certain tragedies and stuff happen, and they can't make sense of it. It's... It's just silly to watch sometimes the way that people try to explain tragedies without God in the equation at all. It makes no sense. And with a couple of the problems that unbelievers have is first of all, if you remember this, this will help you have compassion for unbelievers who are suffering. First of all, they have no hope, okay? So when we're thinking and talking to those that are grieving or wrestling with this whole idea of evil and suffering and all this, remember, if they're not believers, they don't have any hope. And I, my prayer is that we would all have compassion for those that are lost, because that's, part, that's the biggest problem they have, is that they just don't have hope. And we'll talk more about hope when we finish the study here, uh, but we have to remember that part of our response to unsaved people that are suffering is to show them the hope of Christ. Ultimately we want to get there to show them the hope of Christ. Other problems that that unbelievers have in their thinking is just the whole standard of good and evil, right? If you're an unbeliever, who determines what's good and evil? Me? Or you? Or you? Or maybe you've got a different idea of good and evil, or you've got a different idea of good and evil. That doesn't work, folks. Just like I always use the analogy of gravity. I mean, gravity's there and gravity's true whether you like it or acknowledge it or not. We have to understand the same thing, that they can't even determine and define good and evil when everything is relative. It just doesn't make sense. You can't can't do that. So if if this is just a, a purposeless, random universe, then there's no ultimate standard of right and wrong. There are no moral absolutes and the cosmos basically just shrugs at human tragedy. Think about that. If you don't believe that there's a creator to this universe and that we're all just random accidents, when you die, the cosmos cosmos just doesn't care. This is an uncaring universe, so there's no hope. That's not very comforting, is it? Can you see why they, 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 they struggle with this? Why they struggle with tragedies in, in ways that Christians don't? Because there's no meaning to any suffering. You can't even define right and wrong. You can't, de- you can't even define what who's innocent. How do you determine who's innocent? The Bible certainly tells us that none of us, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But they're struggling with even, well, who's innocent? Well, depends on whose side you're on. And their other response, frequently, as a matter of fact, their first response usually is something like to blame and curse God for their pain. You know, people are suffering, and they start shaking their fists and pounding their, God, why did you allow this? Has anyone ever seen this happen? <laughs> Where people are basically screaming and yelling, How could a I mean, it's, it's, a, it, it's an accusation. How could a loving God? Well, it, it's... It <laughs> It isn't pretty, but, you, but how are you going to be angry with the God that you don't believe in? You know, it, when there's some of the responding that way, in, in some ways they're actually acknowledging that there's got to be a God, but they're just mad about what's happening because they don't understand who this God is. And it's up to us to share with them the hope of Christ because they're going to struggle with a meaningless, purposeless existence otherwise. So it's our job to do this because their views are frankly inconsistent and incoherent. They can't make sense of the world because they're leaving out part of the equation. These events can be prime opportunities. I I just wanna encourage you that being able to come alongside with Christian compassion when people are experiencing the evil of this world can be a a great opportunity for us to share the whole gospel. Uh, We all need to have a clear picture and we talked about this, we need to have a clear picture of what eternity uh, is like and what we'll experience in heaven. And if we can just spend the last couple of minutes talking about this together, we need to understand the beauty of, of this. Being in God's holy presence and seeing his glory without any hindrance of evil or sin. Can can you Can you think about that for a minute? Have you ever really... Can any of us really get our minds around the concept of being able to share and spend eternity with a glorious and holy God without the hindrance of sin and evil around us? Man, that, that, that just makes my brain explode. I mean, we can't grasp all of that. I mean, a couple of songs come to mind for me. I mean, most of us have probably heard that song, I Can Only Imagine, right? Right? The words to that song are great. I, mean, I can only imagine. What's it going to be like standing in the presence of the Lord? Or, or that, um, uh, that great hymn, And can it be that I should gain? We sing that sometimes here. Think about the words to that those songs. How, how can this be? This is a magnificent thing that we're going to experience for eternity. That's our hope. And that needs to be clear in our minds, not only for ourselves when we're going through difficulties, but when we're sharing with others that are going through and, and experiencing the, the ravages of evil in this world. We need to be ready to share that with them. So what we've been discussing is the, the term for what we've been discussing is, is the concept of, it's called theodicy. And I, I've got a def, definition from the dictionary in there that hopefully will you can take a look at that later, and I hope it, it uh, is helpful and it, that this... Is encouraging but um, I list a few books down here for further study that we can talk about a little bit more um, about the the benefits of those in a minute but I want to just open it up to, for you all to share um, your thoughts and encouragement with the group so uh, again just what would you what what could you share to our brothers and sisters we got a hand behind us
3: <laughs> second Corinthians for 17 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen
0: for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal amen amen that's a mic drop what else what other encouragement an insight, can you share with your brothers and sisters? Let's over here. Oops. Um,
3: let me share these uh, Bible verses. It's from Psalm 46. <clears throat> God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though it's a waters roar and foam and the mountains wake with their surging. And let me jump into verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. And, um, also, I want to quote um, from ver- from Psalm 126. Although we are weeping, let's keep on sowing the seed. Because it's in God's time that we will see the joy of our labor. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that... Uh, keeps my family and me from being so strong in the faith. I don't have any right or any reason to ask God why. He has his own timing, and that is a perfect timing. And uh, the song that was sang, there will be no more nights no more pains, no more crying in vain. And um, there had been many nights when Al and I would wake up in the middle of the night, and we, it's so hard to see him in pain. But we just kept on praying, Lord, give him a peaceful night and be rested throughout, and that he won't experience any pain, and when he was brought to the hospital in the emergency room, I had the, apport- uh, the opportunity to pray with him, even though I know that it was time- the Lord's timing and uh, I, I prayed to the Lord that please be with him and give him peace. And I sang a few lines of, it is well with my soul. And that's when he, I saw him peaceful and happy to be with the Lord. I just want to thank the Lord also that we had the opportunity God has given or loaned me Al for 52 years. And those are the memories that will keep uh, us strong in the faith. God is faithful yes. and He knows what He's doing for each child of His. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That's the message from this morning, folks. I hope you heard it. This is really what kind of motivated me to even want to to teach on this subject because obviously the topic is not something that people, oh, great, we're gonna learn about evil and suffering. But when I see my brothers and sisters response out of an overflow of understanding of the truth and the sovereignty of God, I hope you're as encouraged and as blessed as I am when, when we see that. And that's what we're here to do as a body, right? That's part of being part of the body is that we encourage, and 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 we lift up each other. And I, I just I thank you for for what you've shared, and I thank you for the love that's been outpoured too. When when we've seen when we've seen these these difficult tragedies that happen, because we know that death is an enemy. But when we see the people of God come alongside each other, as we've seen within our small body, uh, I, I hope you're encouraged and blessed. By saying this is this is how we're meant to function in this broken, fallen world, and uh, again, I hope um, a- again that we continue to be a body that does that. We come alongside that. We have that foundational understanding that our s- dear sister just just shared with us because that's where it goes. As I mentioned, there's some other um, resources at, at the back of your bottom of your notes about some books that I think are really helpful. Um, I mentioned one of them already. Uh, Always Ready by Greg Bonson is another one that I think is a really important go-to that it does uh, address some of the stuff with theodicy. Uh, there's a new, I, I just saw it just at the end of last week and looked at it a little bit. There's a whole apologetics curriculum from G3 that goes through a, a good section on this about questions and answers for uh, the problem of evil and suffering. And then of course, my one of my go-tos has always been C.S. Lewis. There's He does some, he ad- really addresses uh, the problem of pain really, really well. the The book, The Problem of Pain, is a very thoughtful and reasoned approach to suffering and evil, and the grief observed is is much more of a personal. It's it, it reminds me of reading some of the Psalms of Lament that we read sometimes, and it's it's a personal one's a little bit more understanding from a knowledge point. The other book is is really about how do we respond. So, anyway, but uh, I just. I know we're a couple minutes over time, but this is, I, th- I hope that you see this is a really important topic that we need to all be able to address uh, personally as well as with others. We close this in prayer and then we'll get ready for worship time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving care that's based in knowledge that's beyond our understanding and that Lord, you've brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light that we get to spend eternity in. Your marvelous light, that holy, glorious time that we get to be with you for eternity is, is our hope, and that is the hope that we want to share with others. So Lord, equip us to do that, to share our hope with a lost and dying world that's living in darkness. Lord, make this be something that's more than just an intellectual understanding, but this is that we embody this, as, uh, as our dear sister just shared, too, that that's, that's just the outpouring of an understanding of who you are. Let that be for all of us, Lord, that we understand who you are. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.